section nineteen of history of henry the fourth king of france and navarre by john stevens cabot abbott this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter seven the death of charles the ninth and the accession of henry the third part three henry the third with no energy of character despised by his subjects and without either money or armies seemed to be now entirely at the mercy of the confederate princes henry of navarre and the duke of alencon sent an ambassador to the french court to propose terms to henry the third the king of navarre required among other conditions that france should unite with him in recovering from spain that portion of the territory of navarre which had been wrested from his ancestors by ferdinand and isabella while the proposed conditions of peace were under discussion catherine succeeded in bribing her son the duke of alencon to abandon the cause of henry of navarre a treaty of peace was then concluded with the protestants and by a royal edict the full and free exercise of the protestant religion was guaranteed in every part of france except paris and a circle twelve miles in diameter around the capital as a bribe to the duke of alencon he was invested with sovereign power over the three most important provinces of the realm with an annual income of one hundred thousand crowns this celebrated treaty called the pays de monsieur because concluded under the auspices of francis the brother of the king was signed at chastenay the sixth of may fifteen seventy six the ambitious and perfidious duke now assumed the title of the duke of anjou and entirely separated himself from the protestants he tried to lure the prince of conde the cousin and devoted friend of henry of navarre to accompany him into the town of bourges the prince suspecting treachery refused the invitation saying that some rogue would probably be found in the city who would send a bullet through his head the rogue would be hanged i know he added but the prince of conde would be dead i will not give you occasion my lord to hang rogues for love of me he accordingly took his leave of the duke of alencon and putting spurs to his horse with fifty followers joined the king of navarre henry was received with royal honours in the protestant town of rochelle where he publicly renounced the roman catholic faith declaring that he had assented to that faith from compulsion and as the only means of saving his life he also publicly performed penance for the sin which he declared that he had thus been compelled to commit catherine and henry the third having detached francis who had been the duke of alencon but who now was the duke of anjou from the protestants no longer feigned any friendship or even toleration for that cause they acted upon the principle that no faith was to be kept with heretics the protestants notwithstanding the treaty were exposed to every species of insult and injury the catholics were determined that the protestant religion should not be tolerated in france and that all who did not conform to the church of rome should either perish or be driven from the kingdom many of the protestants were men of devoted piety who cherished their religious convictions more tenaciously than life there were others however who joined them merely from motives of political ambition though the protestant party in france itself was comparatively small the great mass of the population being catholics yet the party was extremely influential from the intelligence and the rank of its leaders and from the unconquerable energy with which all of its members were animated 
the weak and irresolute king was ever vacillating between the two parties the duke of guise was the great idol of the catholics henry of navarre was the acknowledged leader of the protestants the king feared them both it was very apparent that henry the third could not live long at his death his brother francis duke of anjou would ascend the throne should he die childless henry of navarre would be his lawful successor but the catholics would be horror-stricken at the idea of seeing a heretic on the throne the duke of guise was laying his plans deep and broad to array all the catholic population of france in his own favour and thus to rob the protestant prince of his rights henry the third henry of navarre henry duke of guise and francis duke of anjou had all been playmates in childhood and classmates at school they were now heading armies and struggling for the prize of the richest crown in europe francis was weary of waiting for his brother to die to strengthen himself he sought in marriage the hand of queen elizabeth of england though she had no disposition to receive a husband she was ever very happy to be surrounded by lovers she consequently played the coquette with francis until he saw that there was no probability of the successful termination of his suit francis returned to paris bitterly disappointed and with new zeal consecrated his sword to the cause of the catholics had elizabeth accepted his suit he would then most earnestly have espoused the cause of the protestants henry the third now determined to make a vigorous effort to crush the protestant religion he raised large armies and gave the command to the duke of anjou the duke of guise and to the brother of the duke of guise the duke of mayenne henry of navarre encountering fearful odds was welcomed by acclamation to head the small but indomitable band of protestants now struggling not for liberty only but for life the king was very anxious to get henry of navarre again in his power and sent most flattering messages and most pressing invitations to lure him again to his court but years of captivity had taught a lesson of caution not soon to be forgotten again hideous war ravaged france the duke of anjou exasperated by disappointed love disgraced himself by the most atrocious cruelties he burned the dwellings of the protestants surrendered unarmed and defenceless men and women and children to massacre the duke of guise who had inflicted such an ineffaceable stain upon his reputation by the foul murder of the admiral coligny made some atonement for this shameful act by the chivalrous spirit with which he endeavoured to mitigate the horrors of civil war one day in the vicinity of bayonne a party of catholics consisting of a few hundred horse and foot were conducting to their execution three protestant young ladies who for their faith were infamously condemned to death as they were passing over a wide plain covered with broken woods and heath they were encountered by a body of protestants a desperate battle immediately ensued the protestants impelled by a noble chivalry as well as by religious fervour rushed upon their foe with such impetuosity that resistance was unavailing and the catholics threw down their arms and implored quarter many of the soldiers were from the city of dux the leader of the protestant band remembered that at the massacre of st bartholomew all the protestants in that city had been slain without mercy with a most deplorable want of magnanimity he caused all the prisoners who belonged to that place to be separated from the rest and in cold blood 
they were slaughtered. The remainder of the prisoners were from the city of Bayonne, whose inhabitants, though Catholics, had nobly refused to imbrue their hands in the blood of that horrible massacre which Charles the Ninth had enjoined. To them, after they had seen their comrades surrendered to butchery before their eyes, he restored their horses and their arms, and gave them their entire liberty. Go, said he, to your homes, and there tell the different treatment which I showed to soldiers and to assassins. The three ladies thus rescued from impending death were borne back in triumph to their friends. Eight days after this, a trumpet was sounded, and a flag of truce appeared emerging from the gates of Bayonne. The friends of the Catholic soldiers, who had been thus generously restored, sent a beautifully embroidered scarf and a handkerchief to each one of the Protestant soldiers. It is a singular illustration of the blending of the horrors of war and the courtesies of peace, that in the midst of this sanguinary conflict, Henry of Navarre, accompanied by only six companions, accepted an invitation to a fete given by his enemies of the town of Bayonne. He was received with the utmost courtesy. His table was loaded with luxuries, voluptuous music floated upon the ear, songs and dances animated the festive hours. Henry then returned to head his army and to meet his entertainers in the carnage of the field of battle. There was but little repose in France during the year 1577. Skirmish succeeded skirmish, and battle was followed by battle. Cities were bombarded, villages burned, fields ravaged. All the pursuits of industry were arrested. Ruin, beggary, and woe desolated thousands of once happy homes. Still the Protestants were unsubdued. The king's resources at length were entirely exhausted, and he was compelled again to conclude a treaty of peace. Both parties immediately disbanded their forces, and the blessings of repose followed the discords of war. One of the Protestant generals, immediately upon receiving the tidings of peace, set out at the utmost speed of his horse to convey the intelligence to Languedoc, where very numerous forces of Protestants and Catholics were preparing for conflict. He spurred his steed over hills and plains till he saw, gleaming in the rays of the morning sun, the banners of the embattled hosts arrayed against each other on a vast plain. The drums and trumpets were just beginning to sound the dreadful charge, which in a few moments would strew that plain with mangled limbs and crimson it with blood. The artillery on the adjoining eminences were beginning to utter its voice of thunder as balls more destructive than the fabled bolts of Jove were thrown into the massive columns marching to the dreadful onset. A few moments later, and the cry, the uproar, and the confusion of battle would blind every eye and deafen every ear. La Noue, almost frantic with a desire to stop the needless effusion of blood, at the imminent risk of being shot, galloped between the antagonistic armies, waving energetically the white banner of peace, and succeeded in arresting the battle. His generous effort saved the lives of thousands. Henry III was required as a pledge of his sincerity to place in the hands of the Protestants eight fortified cities. The reformers were permitted to conduct public worship unmolested in those places only where it was practiced at the time of signing the treaty. In other parts of France they were allowed to retain their belief without persecution, but they were not permitted to meet in any worshipping assemblies. 
but even these pledges confirmed by the edict of poitiers on the eighth of october fifteen ninety seven were speedily broken like all the rest but in the midst of all these conflicts while every province in france was convulsed with a civil war the king reckless of the woes of his subjects rioted in all voluptuous dissipation he was accustomed to exhibit himself to his court in those effeminate pageants in which he found his only joy dressed in the flaunting robes of a gay woman with his bosom open and a string of pearls encircling his neck on one occasion he gave a fete when for the excitement of novelty the gentlemen in female robes were waited upon by the ladies of the court who were dressed in male attire or rather undressed for their persons were veiled by the slightest possible clothing such was the corruption of the court of france and indeed of nearly the whole realm in those days of darkness domestic purity was a virtue unknown law existed only in name the rich committed any crimes without fear of molestation in the royal palace itself one of the favourites of the king in a paroxysm of anger stabbed his wife and her waiting-maid while the unfortunate lady was dressing no notice whatever was taken of this bloody deed the murderer retained all his offices and honours and it was the general sentiment of the people of france that the assassination was committed by the order of the sovereign because the lady refused to be entirely subservient to the wishes of the dissolute king End of section nineteen